Well, this is Israel, and I'm with Brooke, and we're excited to be able to talk with you once again about this topic of overcoming angry and stressed out parenting. We had done a podcast on this earlier, and then we realized that there was an awful lot of ground that we didn't get to cover on our previous podcast. So we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to continue to discuss the different nuances and aspects of this important issue. And Brooke, one of the things that I wanted you to talk about is the issue of anger triggers. In uh, chapter five of our new book, Pitching a Fit, uh, you talk about recognizing certain things that might set you off, so to speak, certain things that Particularly if you're a parent, we all have children who tend to know how to push our buttons. And so being able to recognize and identify these different anger triggers can really be helpful. Uh, so Brooke, what have you learned about dealing with recognizing and dealing with anger triggers? One of the things that um, I found as I go along this parenting journey is it's so much better to get rid of something, get something totally out of my life if it's causing me to stumble, or even if it makes me feel like wanting to stumble. I didn't even drink coffee until after our seventh child was born. And in those very sleep-deprived days, my dad said, here, you need a cup of coffee. And that started um, a little bit of a small addiction, you might say, where I was like, wow, this stuff is great. You know, if you can drink a one cup, wouldn't two cups be better? And yet I found for myself there's that fine line, somewhere between maybe two and three cups, where... I started to get jittery. And in that jitteriness, that caffeinated-induced jitteriness, I tend to be much more irritable. And as I um, enjoyed the energy, so to speak, I know it's a false energy, but a, a false energy it gave me, I began to question how essential this was and how really beneficial this was to my family. It's important to stay awake, obviously, as a mom, but um, not not having that jitteriness you know, making me feel like I'm going to become irritable and thus stumble into stressed out or angry parenting wasn't worth it for me. And so I began looking at that first as a concept of this is a trigger. This is an anger trigger that's not helping me in my life. Another one that I talk with moms about a lot is can I, health. Can I jump in? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say before we move to the next point, I, I think sugar could be like that too, right? Yes. I, that's what I was thinking. Sugar is a huge one. I know for myself personally, it's a huge one because I actually feel bad when I eat sugar. And it's such a shame. It's such a crying shame. But What about sugar, food allergies? Sugar and food allergies? So we have, have a friend who has a food allergy. And she was saying that when she eats eggs, she like turns into this completely other person emotionally. And, and she feels like it's not a, a nice person. Yeah, she says she just kind of turns into the meanie monster and like her nerves are all just sort of out of whack. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't experienced that, but I can imagine that that would be really difficult if you had something like that. Yeah, and that's one of those things that not only are you hurting your own health to keep ingesting foods that you're allergic to or sensitive to, but um, like sugar, all of us are affected by sugar whether we realize it or not. And we always hear all these uh, reports go on every year about how sugar is bad for your health. But when it starts to affect our emotions, it starts to become an addiction that we have to have it. And especially if it's something that makes you irritable or like Israel said, on edge, that's something that we can do without. You know, if you're serious about getting rid of the anger out of your home, these are areas we need to look at. It's not fun. It's not even pretty. Sometimes it causes a lot of withdrawal and all those symptoms that go with it. 
But I'm just saying, why would we want to take something into our bodies that that causes us to feel like we're going to blow up at our children or be angry or on edge? So it may require for a lot of people having a visit to the doctor. Yes. Having some tests done mm-hmm. just to see if there's anything biological that may be contributing to or exacerbating these problems. Sure. Yeah. Not fun, but part of life, especially as we grow older. Another one, I think, for me is this clutter and chaos that just comes with children. But not in our house, right? Oh, I wish I could say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an introvert. What is that proverb that says something about um, that where there are no (laughs) cattle, the stall stays clean? I know. Something like that. Yeah, I, I think of that. It's, it's a lovely concept to have a clean stall, and it's a lovely concept to have a clean home. And you know, but if you have this... a clean stall, that means you don't have any cattle, <laughs> and so that means that you're really not producing a whole lot. You're not getting a whole lot done. Your value of life goes way down. Uh, the the fact that you have a messy stall means God's blessed you. Yeah, it does. And and the cattle, you know, that was a sign of wealth actually in biblical times. And so, so having a really stinky, smelly barn meant you had wealth and that you owned things and that you were on top of it. Sounds a little bit like our teenage boy's room, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe we're just really wealthy. We don't know it. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that concept is one that sometimes we look at the mess and we think, oh, you know, if we could just eliminate all of this, and certainly there's a great need for decluttering that we experience. I think every family that has children probably does the need to simplify. But I know one thing we've tried to be really intentional about is to um, remember the fact that God has really blessed us in this season with children. Mm-hmm. What a tremendous privilege that is. Yes, this is a life calling with eternal results. But the clutter's there, and that's so irritating. And so I found that I have to, number one, identify that clutter there is an irritation to me. It is something that um, stresses me out. And, you know, I I do way too much of looking at these blogs that promote minimalism. And and they're very encouraging sometimes and inspiring and sometimes helpful. But I also have to recognize I've got children in my home. There are crayons that live in this home and they breed like rabbits and there are are crayons all over the place (laughs) and there's dirty dishes and there's cheerios and there's dirty diapers and there's teenage boys dirty clothes and And we have a two-year-old and we have a two-year-old and if any of you have a two-year-old you can sympathize with me because they're exciting little people that live exciting messy little lives and they can be everywhere at once Mm -hmm. so recognizing it that this is a trigger for me and recognizing I don't want to therefore put any stress that I might feel onto my children because of a messy and cluttered home. Obviously, that's something that we can fix uh, to a certain level. I'm going to say honestly that you know it is just a journey and we're on it and we're trying to improve, but it's there and I don't want to let that take down my life with my children because um, it's not worth it. It's not worth becoming stressed out and angry over something that is going to be a part of my life for a short season. Then as those cute cross-stitch sayings go, eventually the cobwebs will uh, the cobwebs will always be there, but the little child that needs rock will not. They will grow up. So, okay, we've identified a couple of them. Um, food, dietary things, mm-hmm. sugar, caffeine, perhaps food allergies, um, clutter, chaos, 
um, having too much stuff sometimes that, that can stuff. create anger uh, and frustration. Uh, what are some other anger triggers? I think for me, um, being interrupted is a major one. You know, you're on the phone and you're trying really hard to So like to in this whole interview, you're basically being frustrated. <laughs> is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, not this particular time. Oh, okay. All right. Just checking. <laughs> but sometimes I have a very definite plan and a very short amount of time to get something done. And I think for a lot of moms who are um, working at home in any formal or non-formal sense, they have these projects that they're trying to get done in a short amount of time because they've only got that. They've only got... 15 minutes here or an hour or two here to snatch some time. So I found one way to just help me deal with this anger trigger is to be able to go, what is my primary goal here? What's the primary eternal thing I'm trying to accomplish? And that's obviously more to do with the children than the work. And a lot of times there can be a give and take with our work. We can um, take that minute or two to attend to a child and yet it feels so important and it feels like, wow, I've got to get this done right now in a, stream, a streamlined way and be able to get it done efficiently. And sometimes we need to step back from that. Sometimes we're not in that season where we can work efficiently. We need to stop, help the little one, give them some more Cheerios to spread around the house. And, um, you know, in doing so, actually our children tend to respond better. And so while those interruptions come as a drag to us moms, they actually can help bolster a better relationship with our children and help us to actually have a little bit more um, time to actually focus on some other jobs and tasks we need to do in life. One of the things, though, as I started looking at all these different kinds of triggers and trying to identify what they were in my life, you know, everybody's different. There might be something different for you. Things like getting to an appointment late, that just makes me feel frustrated. It makes me feel almost angry and I want to lash out at the person who made me late, instead of sometimes going, well, what could I do to change this? And even if we can change a whole bunch of things, sometimes um, we're going to be late. Sometimes it's just going to happen. And one of the things that made such a big difference for me when I had just little ones, actually, is I woke up in the morning and I told myself, in this day that I'm starting right now, something is going to irritate me. And that somehow helped me. I know that sounds silly, but somehow that helped me just to recognize I'm going to be irritated in this day. Something is going to f- flash up in front of me when I least expect it, and I will be frustrated. And so I when and telling myself this, it wasn't so unexpected. When it came up, I'm like, yep, there it is. I knew it would happen. And in telling myself that, prepping myself for the day, I was able to go uh, prepare myself for a better response when it did happen. So it didn't seem so unexpected. There are a lot of things that I think can complicate anger issues, even if they aren't directly the cause. One of the things that I think uh, gets overlooked sometimes is our friends and the people that we hang around with. Sure. There's a proverb that says, to note an angry person and stay away from them, lest we learn their ways and become like them. And I think sometimes uh, you're raised in a culture that's angry uh, and sometimes you have friends and relatives who have that kind of attitude. And I notice that when I'm around people like that, people that have a short fuse, people who complain about everything all the time, they've always got something to gripe about, whether it's their boss or their neighbor or somebody that cut them off on the way to work or whatever the issue is, this just negative attitude, 
that it affects me, that I can start to pick up that kind of attitude. I think that's one thing that we need to be mindful of. I don't know if we'd call that an anger trigger necessarily, uh, but that certainly can influence our behavior uh, by being around people who have that kind of negativity. And that can be hard, particularly if it's a relative, um, but limiting the amount of exposure that we have to that kind of negative thinking and that, that critical attitude, I guess, is one that uh, I think can be really helpful. What are some of the thoughts? Do you have any other thoughts on the uh, anger trigger issue? Uh, no, I think that pretty well wraps up that concept. But, um, you know, along what you said, is, is we're around people or we're putting influences into our life, even if we're not technically thinking of it as an influence. This is entertainment. We're watching a TV show or whatnot. Um, those things, the way that we hear things expressed, the way that we see other people relate to their children, the way that we relate to other people, all have an influence um, on the way we, that we talk to our children. We'll start using words that we hear spoken quite a bit. And so it really needs to make us more alert to what we're allowing into our lives and how we filter it. In the book, we mention how illnesses and physical limitations can really raise the stress level. And also working with special needs children, there are certain children who have various issues, whether it's like an ADD or ADHD issue, or whether it's some sort of um, physical limitation that they have or some sort of emotional disorder. Um, Parents who have those type of really high needs uh, children, those situations are way more stressful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have a combination where you have difficult children and you have physical limitations on the part of the parent. You know, you have a mother who's struggling with her own health issues, for example, and she's trying to raise difficult children. Um, those combinations can be extremely difficult. Um, what do you think for a parent who finds themselves in that kind of situation? Uh, what are some things that they should do? I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is joining some sort of support network sure. of families that are similar. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? Well, I know that that could be a huge issue. And I'm really happy to see that there's a lot more awareness coming about for um, the challenged young people, the challenged children who have special needs, who have just unique learning styles or lack thereof. And for the moms and dads, I think it's a twofold thing because there is just learning how to be patient in those situations. And it's almost like God puts you in a class you know, a learning class for yourself in those situations, those life circumstances where you're challenged. Okay, you must become patient. You must learn what this is all about. But also it's a twofold thing because you you want to train your child and help them become um, become more advanced to learn, to develop. And so you're constantly looking to how to develop them but to do it in a way that builds them up and to love them. So, yeah, I think getting plugged in with teaching resources for you as a parent and how to help your child develop are just essential. But then also to be able to talk with parents who are um, who are running the course, but even more so who have run that course. Because the parents who are in the same boat as you are going to be able to pat you on the back and say, yeah, I know how you feel. And sometimes that's the hug you need. But sometimes you need the older parent who says, I know, I've been there, 
And some ways they might still be there, but their children are that step older than yours. And to be able to go, they can maybe pass on to you tips and ideas they've learned and just the things that they've, um, that they can say, you know, this will eventually pass. You'll eventually outgrow this. Your children will outgrow this. And this will be a new set of life circumstances. In chapter eight of Pitching a Fit, you talk about what patience is and what patience is not. And I think sometimes people have a perception when we say we want to encourage patience, and that actually is listed in Galatians 5 in the fruit of the Spirit, so it is something that we should aspire to. Um, But when we think about patience, sometimes we think of it in terms of someone being just very complacent, uh, maybe even having an almost comatose personality where nothing phases them, they don't get rattled by anything, uh, they always speak in a a quiet voice, or or maybe we think of someone who's sort of sugary and syrupy sweet Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of has this this sappy, sugary kind of attitude all the time. And um, is that what we mean by patience when we say that parents should seek patience? Is, Is that the kind of... Is that the kind of word picture that should come to our mind? Yeah, patience is one of those words that just the sound of it, unfortunately. I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it just sounds so dull and it sounds so, like I said, sugary, sweet, and um, not, it just doesn't sound like it has a lot of power behind it. And yet, as I was studying these passages that the scripture talks about patience, I realized wait, this patience is something born of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit weak? Is the Holy Spirit kind of that syrupy, sweet, and two-faced? Is the Holy Spirit lacking in power? And it's like, no. And so I, I kind of went back to just having a refresher course. Well, what is patience? And as I studied it, a couple of word pictures came to my mind that I hope makes sense. But one of them is we really need to look at patience as like it's a fire. And that's not that soft fuzzy, too fuzzy, you know, too soft kind of baby immature way to look at it. This is talking about um, patience as a fire because when we're bearing with somebody, when we're showing that kindness towards them in a difficult situation, because that's where anger and stress and patience have their feeding ground, um, we, we need to realize that this is a living and breathing thing. It's not just a bite your tongue and mind your manners, or if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Patience is something that is active and it's alive. And when we have patience in us, it's something that brings out a powerful dimension towards transferring God's love to our child. Again, in that special, difficult circumstances, usually because if you're being patient when they're giving you a hug, that's not really patient. You know, they're, they're being sweet and kind and obedient that day. You're doing fine. You don't, you don't have this dire need to have patience. It's when they push your buttons and irritate you that you need patience. It's interesting because I think we can all think of anger as a fire. Right. I think that's a pretty easily brought into our mind. But the idea of anger, of patience being like a fire... Uh, it's probably a, a new way of thinking of that. It's a new metaphor, I think. Well, I'd, I'd like to challenge, you know, moms and dads, think of it in a different way because a fire is something, you know, w- when you have a comforting home hearth, you have that attraction for the family that it brings warmth. 
and on a cold winter night, that's so appealing. And patience is like that. It draws our families back to us. We live in Michigan, and we know what cold winters are all about. And we actually have a wood stove in our house that we use for heat. And the thing about fire is that fire is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. Mm -hmm. And within the right confines, when it is appropriately controlled, um, it can be very beneficial. Uh, When fire gets outside the stove and it just goes rampant, then it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, um, anger, when it's outside of boundaries, when it's outside of confines, it does tremendous damage. It just destroys everything in its wake. But when patience takes things that would ordinarily be frustrations and it brings focus and clarity to it and it seeks to bring reconciliation, it seeks to, to resolve problems and issues... Uh, when patience is able to get a hold of these these potentially dangerous situations and bring them and harness them into something more constructive, then it can produce this warmth, this mm-hmm. glowing uh, love within the home. And um, I think it's a really powerful uh, way of, of thinking about that, of drawing on that. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the whole aspect that I think some people look at it and say, well, I'm just not a patient person. You know, that's fine for you. You know, you might be a patient person, but I'm not. Right. Uh, you know, I I grew up, grew up in a Irish home, and I have that Irish temper or whatever they may say, whatever their excuse might be. And so some people feel like there's just a select set of people on the planet who get the patient gene. Right. And they took other, the magic pill. And other people don't get that patient gene. And so there's no hope for them. They'll never change. They'll never be different. Uh, And they don't see it as something that they should aspire to. Um, What what do you think about that? Well, like I said before, patience is something that the Holy Spirit bears in us. And the Holy Spirit desires to see these fruits, that kindness, love, joy, all those things spoken about in Galatians, born in each Christian. And patience is not this special fruit that's unattainable for some. I just love this passage um, in James 1, 5, where it tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, and let's just substitute for the time being the word patience here, because patience is wisdom. If any of you lacks patience, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Another way um, it's worded is to say that God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't care if you came from that Irish hot-tempered ancestry, or he doesn't care if you are currently bound with just habits of um, anger. This is something he wants and desires to give us all. And that's such a beautiful gift because so many of us are sick and tired of trying and trying and trying and determining today is going to be different. I am going to have patience. Wisdom calls and says patience is for all. The Holy Spirit wants to give it to each of us. In chapter 9 of the book, it's entitled Nurture in the Heart of Correcting. And you talk about how we need to replace anger with nurture. And I'd like you to speak a little bit about that word and what it is about that word nurture that stands out to you and uh, what are some ways that we can replace nurture uh, instead of anger, and and what does that look like? What's the difference between the two? 
this is my favorite chapter in the whole book. You know, when I used to think about, oh, I'd love to be an author and I'd like to write some things. And I'd scribble out notes about different book topics. I always, I always brought to these ideas of mine um, what I thought and, you know, even some of my what I had studied. And yet this book is really a different and unique book because it's come out of my life and it's come out of my life understandings and struggles I've had. And thankfully, victories God's given me too in this very area. And so the crux of what I wanted to share in this book really comes back to what James talks about in James 1, 19 and 20, where it says, anger, sorry, man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. And I was a mom struggling to try to get God's righteousness stuffed down the throats of my little children. And when I saw that that wasn't working, and when I saw that I was actually making things worse by my efforts, I had to step back and just go, okay, I am so uptight and so stressed about making sure that they are brought up in the Lord and wanting to teach them right things and nothing, you know, all that's good. But the method I was using was um, not bearing the results I wanted to see. And I saw I was applying anger when they wouldn't toe the line, when they wouldn't live up to what was right and what was good. And of course, two-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds, they don't know. They're just there being their little selves and, you know, sweet sometimes, but also full of that sin nature. And so I really started to plead with the Lord, show me a different way. And when I saw um, that my anger wasn't doing what I wanted it to do, and my stress and my tightness and so forth, I just kind of bottomed out and was like, okay, Lord, I need something different. And that's where nurture comes in. In other words, it might work too. For me, nurture just uh, gives that tone of bringing out and 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 helping along and shaping in a good, gentle sense. And so when I talk about nurture in this book, I'm saying that it's um, it can be a powerful thing too. It can replace anger, can replace how we deal with our children, how we interact with them, even how we correct them. And so that's where I wanted to hit in this book um, that we need to bring something that's powerful f- to our children when we correct them in the sense of something that helps them. And when I talk about nurture, I'm talking about instead of shoving your child away when they do wrong, drawing them close. Instead of hollering at them to make sure they heard you and what you wanted to say, it's sometimes asking a question, helping them think it through, helping them realize, oh, that was not wise to take the bad course I did and X, Y, Z, to do whatever evil they had in their mind or the, the wrong that they wanted to do. It's helping them to recognize their own behavior but it's coming alongside of them instead of saying, you did this and wow, aren't you a skunk? It's trying to walk along with them and say, I want to help you grow. We're both growing in this journey. I want to walk alongside you and help you become the man or woman of God that you need to be. One thing we emphasize thoroughly in the book is that this is not about mind over matter. It's not about you just deciding, okay, I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to stop yelling. This is about you learning how to walk in the Spirit, how to abide in Christ, how to allow Christ to do in and through you what you aren't capable of doing yourself. You may say, well, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm not capable of doing it, then how am I going to change? That's the gospel. The gospel is that you aren't the solution. You are the problem. Mm -hmm. And we talk about in the book what that looks like 
to live the Christ life, to allow the Holy Spirit to control you so that it's his life living in and through you, and it's no longer you acting according to your own fleshly nature and inclinations, but instead it's this life of Christ, the power of Christ living in and through you. And so we encourage you to pick up a copy of our new book called Pitch in a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting. Uh, we welcome you to go to our website, which is familyrenewal.org, and also to follow us on Facebook. There's several different ways you can do that there. If you go to facebook.com forward slash familyrenewal, that's our ministry page. I have a couple of pages. One is forward slash Israel.Wayne, and another is forward slash Israel Wayne Author. So we are really grateful for the opportunity that we have to come to you and get to share what the Lord is teaching us through this podcast. We thank uh, the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network for helping us to make that possible. Uh, again, Pitch in a Fit is published by New Leaf Press. It's available wherever Christian books are sold, and we hope that you will get a copy of it for yourself and that you will tell your friends about it. Until next time, thank you so much, and God bless you. Bye-bye.